Hello everyone, welcome back to this Human Life Podcast. I'm Melissa, and uh, I'll be reading through my book again. This is the companion podcast to my book This Human and it's the uh, kind of like the director's cut, the author's notes edition to the book where I read through the book and stop and share stories and embellish things and we go deeper and uh, spend about I don't know 20 minutes or so together doing that so welcome back we are still in chapter one um, called insight we're starting from page 29 Um, if you have the book you can follow along if you don't um, that's fine too I think the content that we go through and the um, I try and use examples from um, my quite varied career to bring home some of the concepts that we go through in the book. So hopefully it'll be of value with or without the book. Um, okay, here we go. We start with an exercise, actually, exercise 1.7. It's called asking the right questions. How might we? It's important to establish the habit of summarizing your brief in one question. How might we dot 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 this becomes your guiding star for your work it doesn't prescribe an outcome or an approach and it certainly doesn't come close to suggesting an answer but it does keep you pointed in the right direction it ensures you are always on track towards a meaningful outcome so what there is a very good chance that you will be okay i feel like i need to explain something so so what is (laughs) so how might we is a type of question and the so what is also a type of question so normally a um like we have actually i might i might put that as a link um in the show notes but we have a um, structure uh, that we teach people in huddle academy which is how to formulate a how might we uh question um and uh normally at the end of a how might we question there's a so that which is um, where you then describe the impact. So how might we um, help address a particular need so that um, description of impact, you know, that that's the kind of structure. Um, but what I'm talking about here is actually the so what as opposed to the so that. So the so what is really asking about, well, um, why is this important and what's the relevance? So um, asking the right questions of your work for me is – Um, more critical than getting to an answer quickly Um, so the so what question mark is a title Um, and then this is what it says underneath there is a very good chance that you will get very excited about your findings and insights your ideas and your concepts you might even be a little seduced by them a nice affliction referred to as solution seduction To test the relevance of an idea or insight, ask yourself a very simple yet blunt question. So what? This forces you to think objectively about the importance and relevance of your insights or idea. This is an art that has to be mastered. You don't want to to be overly critical and allow your inner critic to shut your ideas down. Think of these questions as stress testing. Use them to make sure you aren't following a path that is unconnected with the reason you are doing the work in the first place. For those of us who love 
um, research who love asking an interesting question of a particular you know group of people that we're there to be in service of or in service with and we are um, conducting some research with them and then we gather that information and we spend time analyzing it and synthesizing it and doing a little bit of inside hunting see what we can find um, that's going to uh, inform whatever solution that comes out of that we can get quite enamored with the process of discovery and follow really really interesting insights um, that actually have no relevance to the question that started the work off in the first place <laughs> so um, I guess the the discipline here is really it, it's well is it a discipline it's like a dance actually it's a dance between enabling your creativity and your intuition to be able to guide your thinking um, your analysis and synthesis um, but also keeping one eye on the on the relevance of that exploration as well so we don't go too far away from the whole point that we're there okay next page page 30 uh, another exercise exercise 1.8 giving your curiosity a workout make yourself a collector of life experiences by being curious and welcoming diverse experiences you'll be able to make better sense of your observations and your work Build your knowledge. Seeding your brain with different types of knowledge provides you with different frames of reference to use when you are making sense of your work. My background is in biomedical engineering. I studied neurosciences and did a PhD in human-centered design. About four years ago, I decided to study feng shui. It was way outside my usual reading and was a completely different type of knowledge. It certainly wasn't logical and based on cause and effect. It was more abstract and mystical and mythical and sorry mythical mythological this was a leap into the unknown for me it brought richness to my interest areas and i read and i read much more widely now reading widely and exploring new frontiers of knowledge creates a diverse repository for interesting ways to explain concepts and make sense of the world i may have mentioned this in a previous episode actually uh because the, the way that our brain goes about making sense of uh, the experiences that we're having, whether that is in day-to-day -day life or it's in the context of your work as a human-centered designer or a leader, it uses the frames of reference that are available to it to be able to make sense of the inputs that are coming in. And those inputs are coming in through your eyes and ears and you know, what you feel and smell, like the five senses, but then also your intuition. And the reason why I advocate for this type of an approach in building a diverse sort of repository of experience and knowledge is that the more diverse your reading and understanding and that sort of thing, the more potential you have of being able to connect with another person's reality, but also to be able to see uh, connections between things that otherwise may not be obvious to you so I feel like it's a you know just like when I was in high school and I was training to be a tennis player practicing you know running up and down sand dunes was part of my fitness regime it wasn't necessarily directly to do with tennis I was it wasn't hours on the court but it was a diverse experience that helped me do my job better and the 
collecting of sort of eclectic experiences and thoughts and and knowledge um, is sort of uh, similar to that in my books, quite literally in my book. (laughs) Anyway, making jokes by myself. Um, Okay, next one, use your life as a metaphor. Aspects of your life can be useful metaphors and experiences that will help you describe your work or to make sense of something you're exploring, not unlike what I just did. When I was growing up, I was mad about tennis. Oh my God, this is hilarious. I really need to read ahead before I share stories. At the age of 13, it began to get serious and I decided to become a professional tennis player. When I made this decision, my training completely changed. It was no longer just about game, tactics and strategies. It became about endurance, focus, resilience and repetition. I use this story to explain to leaders and organisations that when they decide to become a human-centred organisation, their training is going to change. They need to lead in different ways, make decisions based on different values and deliver on their work using different methodologies. They cannot expect to change if they keep doing things the same way. Your life is a rich resource for sense-making and storytelling. Be curious about your own life and find your own examples. And then in this little black um, circle with an arrow, I've got your life is more interesting than you think. <laughs> Search through your memories for metaphors and stories. Yeah, I think that I think the knack there is finding the relevance between you know things that have happened to you in your life and and uh, what's happening in the moment um, to be able to help explain something. Okay, last uh, part of this exercise: embrace ambiguity. Your work will always have a high degree of ambiguity associated with it because you have chosen to work in an emergent practice. Your next step will always be informed by what you've just learned from the step you just took. You can't plan out every single step you're going to take in human-centered design because you learn as you go. Sometimes you have to do things you didn't anticipate. You have also chosen to make people the core focus of your creative energies and people are strange creatures. They, (laughs) strange creatures, they change their minds. They have hidden subconscious motivations that they don't even know are running the show and they are significantly influenced by their environment. This presents an ambiguous, dynamic and complex field of inquiry. Ambiguity is your friend and also a gift. Working in an ambiguous context gives you many opportunities to ask questions and the more questions you ask, the more you learn. And the best way to learn is by having fun. It's okay to try new things, to create new ways of asking questions and to establish play as a robust way of seeking insight. Broaden your perspective about how to deal with ambiguity and flex your curiosity muscles while you do it. Mm. And then there's a quote by... Ralph Waldo Emerson, which is most of the shadows of this life are caused by our standing in our own sunshine. I love that quote, obviously. It's in the book. Okay, page 33. Learn to let go. Uh, Yeah, that's an important one in the time of uh, a global pandemic, that's for sure. Um, If your ideas are going to live, you need to keep them light. The same goes for your insights. Insights are not very different from ideas. Being able to really see what's hidden, what's behind the observable, requires you to surrender. Believe in possibility and let go of your attachment to current reality 
If you don't, you'll only be seeing part of what's really there for you to explore. Attachment to current reality. Our attachment to our current reality is a sneaky thing. Often we don't realize it's happening, especially if our job is to create new realities. There is a strong impulse to keep things just the way they are. This inertia is the very thing we need to overcome early if our work is to gain any traction. Sometimes this inertia is within us, sometimes it comes from outside. You know the feeling of hitting your head against a brick wall? When it seems that everything, the project, the organisation you work for, the people you're collaborating with, are all conspiring to make your work even more difficult? This is often a strong sign that you need to look inward and search for attachment. No matter how delicious your idea is, there might be some aspect of it that puts at risk your understanding of how you exist in your current reality. In your current state, you understand how things work, where you fit and how you add value. All this is very important for establishing your sense of stability and well-being. When an idea comes along that challenges this, our tendency is to shut it down, sometimes before we even vocalise the idea itself. If it is our own idea, we shut it down with our thoughts. Too risky. I'll lose control. I'll lose respect. There are too many of those thoughts to list. But I'm sure they sound familiar. This is our attachment to our current reality fighting for its existence. Take yourself away from the situation and look internally to see what you are attached to. It might be the methodology you want to use, an idea you have, or an insight you believe is too important to ignore. These feelings will also be experienced by people you are working with, so it's essential that this is acknowledged up front. You have to allow a safe space for people to experiment with hypothetical new reality for themselves. It's like trying on a new pair of shoes. It's best not to walk 10 kilometers in them straight away. So page 34, another exercise around attachment. If you are experiencing external resistance to your work, you are probably attached to something internally. Identifying attachment, exercise 1.9. When you feel things are running a bit rough and you are getting a lot of resistance from your client or your colleagues, you might be attached to something. Start exploring if this is the case by asking yourself the following questions. Question 1. What am I not willing to compromise? We all have our own ideas about how we approach our work. Often, it is this aspect of our work that gets the most resistance. People are unsure about how we are going to go about the work that we do. They are not always convinced we are going to get the answers they are hoping for. Always start by asking yourself what is most important to you personally about the work. What are you not willing to compromise on? And write a list of things that come to mind. Question two, why am I attached to this? Look through your list and cross out the outcomes. Things like quality, client satisfaction and happier humans. The agreed outcomes of the work doesn't usually attract resistance. Now look at what is on the list. For example, do you want to make a video to explain your results or use an online cultural probe to gather information? Ask yourself why the remaining items on your list are so important to you. This will help you understand where you might be receiving resistance and why. Question 3. What is at risk if I were to compromise on this issue? Be brutally honest with yourself about what is at risk if you let go of your attachment. 
Sometimes it's about getting your way or being able to lead. Sometimes it's about worrying that if you do it another way, you won't get a good result. Sometimes you just aren't willing to try something new. Think about exactly what is at risk and write it down. Question four, does this serve the outcome of the project? Think objectively about whether or not the thing you're attached to serves the outcome of the project. Sometimes we want to do things a certain way because we are keen to try out a new technique or we think it is the most efficient way to get what we need. However, if the people you are working with are not familiar with that approach, remaining attached to it won't serve the outcome of the project. And question five. What is the best scenario if I do compromise? Imagine a scenario in which you let go of your attachment and you are comfortable with that. This helps you move past your attachment and create a new situation where everyone is happy and the work is done to a high standard. Remember, people do their best work when they feel comfortable and happy with their ability to add value. If they feel as if they are being led down a path they are unsure of, you will be battling their resistance for the duration of the project. Tip. These questions can also be applied to your client's attachment to their reality. As you master your practice, this is an exercise you will eventually do in your head. This exercise is really sharing the experience that I have had in my career when I have felt resistance in you know, the work that I was doing, whether it was with a client or within the team or some contemporaries or whatever, um, in any context, in any configuration, constellation. Um, and that resistance might come in the form of me putting forward a, a certain approach and the team being sort of not quite on board with that or communicating a solution to a client and them having a bit of resistance to that idea to actually believe that it's possible or to see that it might actually help them. Often in those moments of resistance, I have also been attached to a certain way that I want things to unfold. So what I mean by that is like, let's, let's take the client one, for example. Typically, when we, when we work in human-centered design, we're really passionate about um, making a positive impact in whatever capacity we can on the people that we're there to help or co-create with. And when the client doesn't seem like they're that interested, I know that if I have been too attached to the type of response and the type of enthusiasm that I would like them to express. <laughs> Sounds so ridiculous to say it now in light of the work that, you know, we've just done and it's absent. Um, it's almost like I try and convince them <laughs> and try and get them to react the way that, that I wanted them to. And that is an example of, of attachment. When you walk in and you're attached to a way that you want someone to feel or someone to think or, or a way that you want them to do something. And it's often when you have an internal attachment to something that resistance might occur externally. And that's why I've included this reflective practice in, in the book because by spending some time and just interrogating the situation and um, asking yourself those questions, you know, is there something that I'm not willing to compromise here? And as I said in the exercise, often the outcomes, you know, the ultimate um, outcome of the project, there's not a lot of uh, misalignment around those things most of the time. That's why people are in the room, especially if you do a good job up front at being able to kick the project off and 
get alignment around the outcomes that the project is there to serve. But often the the resistance and the disagreements, they tend to live in the in the how space or the who space. You know, who's going to do what and how are we going to do it and by when. So thinking about that, thinking about what, what are you not willing to compromise on and why. And if you were to compromise, what is actually at risk? And is it actually at risk? And if you did compromise, what is the scenario that... Um, might actually work for you and for the others involved um i think that type of work that sort of self-reflection really strengthens you as a as a leader um and also as a as a practitioner in human-centered design gosh the time flies really quickly when i'm doing this Uh, i was going to say when i'm with you because it feels like i'm talking to someone but in reality i'm not i'm talking to a microphone but feels like you're here and listening so thanks for listening and i will be back next week with the next installment of this human life podcast and we'll be kicking off from page 36 i'll see you then bye